Hello and welcome to eBiomedicine podcast. I'm Jordan Lee. MIG might be one of the most studied oncogens and has been estimated to be dysregulated in about 70% of human cancers, which makes it an attractive drug target for cancer therapy. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Mark Mansour at UCL Cancer Institute and Dr. Victor Lombard, postdoc research fellow from the group. And we are going to discuss about their new review article titled Therapeutic Targeting of Undruggable MIC, published in our January issue this year. Hi, Mark and Victor. Thanks for joining our podcast. First of all, could you give a brief introduction of MIC family proteins and what their normal function is thought to be in healthy cells? Victor, you want to go first? Yes, so the MIC oncogene family includes three paralogs, C-MIC, which is generally referred to as simply MIC, N-MIC, and L-MIC. And in terms of DNA sequence, all three paralogs are substantially different, but at the protein level, they share segments or domains that are evolutionary conserved, including the so-called MIC homology boxes or the BHLH domain. And these regions are involved in several protein-protein interactions that ultimately modulate MIC activity as a transcription factor. Now, in terms of functions in physiological conditions, all MIC proteins are transcription factors that function as master regulators, and they control important cellular processes, including cell proliferation or cell growth, metabolism, apoptosis. So, in general, all three paradoxes have similar function. And actually, they can replace each other in some contexts, but they usually show different tissue specificities and timings in terms of expression. So, for example, CMIC is ubiquitously expressed during embryogenesis, while in the adult individual, it is generally found in proliferative tissues. In contrast, the expression of the other two members, NMIC and LMIC, is uh, perhaps a bit more restricted. For example, NMIC is expressed in neural tissue and lungs and in early metabolic development, while uh, LMIC is highly expressed during development, particularly in brain or in kidney and, and lungs. Uh, but what it is interesting about LMIC is that once these tissues develop, its expression rapidly decreases. So. Uh, LMIC, but except in lungs, where LMIC uh, expression remains constant. So in summary, all MIC family members have similar function, and fundamentally they act the same way, but are expressed at different times and uh, different locations in physiological conditions. Yeah, and it was this vital role of the MIC family proteins in uh, normal tissue homeostasis that I think really put off the research community from trying to exploit it as a therapeutic target in cancer. Um, and it took a, a seminal study by Laura Suchek and Jared Evan uh, that was published in Nature in 2008 um, to get the community sort of excited about it again. Um, they developed a dominant negative MIC peptide called OMOMIC, um, and they could inducibly activate this in a tissue-specific manner in a mouse model. So what OMOMIC does is it binds to the beta-HLH leucine zipper of MIC and displaces the uh, MIC-MAX heter heterodimers. Um, and they showed that this had profound effects on inhibiting tumor initiation and inducing tumor regression. And they used a, a RAS-induced uh, lung adenocarcinoma um, model. 
Um, and they're also able to express a mimic in, in normal tissues of the mice. And that well, it did have quite marked effects on, on normal tissue uh, proliferation. Uh, but these effects were remarkably well tolerated and rapidly reversible when non-mimic um, was uh, withdrawn. And it was this study, I think, that really highlighted this exploitable therapeutic window of MIC targeting that hadn't really been previously uh, appreciated. So since the MIC oncogene was cloned more than 40 years ago, tens of thousands of studies have been published on MIC family in cancer. What is our current understanding about the role and the mechanism of MIC in cancer? So uh, after more than 40 years of research, there is strong evidence that shows that when MIC gets aberrantly expressed, it, it drives both tumor growth and tumor maintenance. And in fact, MIC is associated with all the hallmarks of cancer when it gets pathologically activated. It, it promotes cell proliferation. It, it promotes protein synthesis. It also alters cell metabolism, and it even alters the tumor microenvironment. And uh, at the molecular level, uh, MIC has been traditionally considered a specific transcription factor that binds to E-boxes at particular target genes. Uh, however, recent evidence supports the notion that instead of being a specific transcription factor, MIC functions more like a, um, a general amplifier that enhances transcription globally by binding to both canonical and non-canonical e-boxes and uh, increasing as a result expression of promoters uh, that are already active. And uh, also, MIC activity is usually tightly controlled at both the transcriptional and the protein level um, it is estimated to be aberrantly expressed in up to 70% of human cancers, and including different types of malignancies, uh, also highly aggressive malignancies like uh, leukemia or, or high-grade lymphoma. And, and we became interested in MIC because um, our work has, um, has focused on T-cell uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or TLL. Uh, and we first started working on uh, NOTCH1, which is recurrently mutated in uh, over half of cases of TLL and work from Adolfo Ferrando, John Astor and Andrew Wang had, had shown that MIC is the major downstream target of uh, NOTCH1. And so people thought NOTCH1 would be a great therapeutic target as a means of switching off uh, MIC. Um, but actually the clinical data turned out to be really disappointing. And, and there's several reasons for that. Um, one of being that uh, tumor cells quite rapidly escape from um, notch one inhibition by upregulating uh, MIC through other mechanisms. They they enhance the swap to to upregulate MIC um, uh, with independently of notch. Um, but what that does tell us is that TLL, like many other cancers, is a truly MIC dependent disease. And um, and to us, that meant that it really is the the, the holy grail of therapeutic targets in, in TLL. And so Victor and I have taken on the uh, not in substantial challenge of trying to find novel ways of, of targeting it. So it seems that a variety of cancers depends on high-level expression of MIG proteins, and that makes it an attractive target for cancer therapy. Mark, where are we now on this front? Yeah, so maybe I can first mention some of the attempts to target MIC um, directly. Um, so the OMOMIC peptide that I mentioned earlier has um, been further developed by Laura Suchek's group. Um, and originally, the research community considered it a really useful laboratory tool, but I don't think anyone truly believed it would ever be developed into an actual drug. 
Um, but actually, omomet contains an amphipathic helical basic region, and these are common features of cell penetrating um, peptides. And they went on to show that it indeed can penetrate cells really efficiently and has really quite striking efficacy in in vivo models of many different types of cancer. And so this has actually now moved to uh, early phase one clinical trials, um, testing OMOMIC. It's known clinically as OMO103. Um, and they're testing it in a variety of, of, of cancers, um, including breast, colorectal, non-small cell lung cancer. Um, there's even an intranasally delivered version of, uh, of uh, OMOMIC that can penetrate the CNS, so some interest in, in brain tumors. Um, and we sort of very much look forward to hearing uh, the results of, of those trials. Um, there are also a number of other small molecule direct MIC-MAX um, in, inhibitors that uh, uh, Victor has written about in, in the review. One of those that looks very promising is MIC-I975, uh, um, but it's still some way off as far as I understand from being optimized um, for human uh, use. Yes, and regarding the indirect targeting of MIC, uh, I mean, it's well known that MIC interacts with a large variety of proteins, and, and some of them are cofactors that result essential for MIC-oncogenic activity, at least in some contexts. So um, a lot of researchers have developed strategies or have tried to develop strategies to inhibit these uh, secondary proteins in order to tackle MIC. And uh, some of these strategies have reached clinical phase trials, uh, for example, uh, strategies based on, on targeting MIC post-translational modifiers like uh, Aurora A kinase or PIN1 or other elements of the MIC FBXW7 axis. And also other examples include strategies based on targeting chromatin modifiers such as BRD4 or WDR5 that uh, control the expression of the MIC gene itself or also bind MIC at the protein level. So based on your review, it seems that most of these MIC targeting strategies are indirect inhibition of MIC. Are there any technical issues that make it particularly challenging to target MIC directly? Uh, yes, yes. So, so there is no doubt that MIC is one of the most attractive therapeutic targets in cancer, and uh, we think that a, a drug that targets MIC would make a massive impact in the field, but MIC still presents several challenges that makes uh, the direct targeting of this protein particularly difficult. And first of all, MIC has no enzymatic activity, right? So there is no active site to be targeted. Um, in addition to that, MIC is an intrinsically disordered protein, when it is present as a monomer. So structure-guided drug design is particularly difficult. Also, the interaction between MIC and MAX is uh, required for DNA binding. So this heterodimer MIC-MAX has been always considered of uh, very high interest when developing therapeutic strategies. Uh, but this interaction between these two proteins is of very high affinity. So it presents very few accessible or druggable pockets that can potentially be targeted. In addition to that, there is functional redundancy, as we mentioned before, uh, between all the MIC uh, family proteins. So one can potentially replace each other, right? And that means that ideally a pan-MIC inhibition would be required. And, uh, and finally, we can't forget that MIC is a transcription factor, so it locates into the nucleus. So that means that any molecule that is meant to bind MIC, it has to reach this compartment. Mark, what do you think are the outstanding questions in the field? 
Is there any specific one that your group is interested and in working on right now? Yeah, there, there are plenty of unanswered questions in the field. I wish there weren't so many. Um, I mean, there are many clinical challenges. Um, once you've even made a drug, um, even if you have one with optimal pharmacokinetic properties, um, the question is, what is the optimal way to actually dose a MYC inhibitor clinically to exploit a, a therapeutic window without causing toxicity? Um, and and then from a, certainly from a leukemia perspective, one of the slight concerns in the field is that leukemia stem cells actually have quite low levels of, of MYC. And so one of the questions would be whether MYC inhibitors would ever be able to eradicate the leukemia-initiating cells uh, that are responsible um, for relapse. And I guess only further work will really um, show us one way or the other regarding that. And then in terms of generating a, a larger arsenal of direct MYC inhibitors, the problem really relates to our lack of understanding of, of MYC structure. Um, we, uh, Victor, has already shown that the N-terminus of MYC is absolutely required for T-cell leukemia initiation and, and tumor maintenance. Um, but because it's intrinsically disordered, there are no crystal structures to help us in structure-guided um, drug design. And even these new AI-developed algorithms, such as AlphaFold, can't really determine the structure of the MYC uh, M-terminus. However, if you, um, uh, you can actually crystallize small fragments of, of MYC um, with partner proteins, and that's been shown for Aurora B kinase with, with a small fragment of the N-terminus of, of, of MYC-N, and there will form a, uh, a, 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 an ordered conformation. And so one of the challenges that Victor's taken on is, is trying to work out what are the crucial binding partners in the N-terminus of, of MYC um, that we can identify and then, then crystallize and then in turn figure out strategies um, such as structure-guided drug design to develop small molecules uh, to inhibit its function. And there's really good examples of, of structure-guided drug design being successful and, and, and one good example of that is the uh, BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax, which has really got fantastic activity for a variety of, of hematological and, and solid, solid tumors. That was Professor Mark Mansour and Dr. Victor Lombard from UCL Cancer Institute in London. You can read their review article online now at our journal's website. Thank you for listening.